0: Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. Um, If you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com, the link is in the show notes, and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven-day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website, um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, in which I rewind the clock to my journalistic past for a probing profile of Jay Brown. I've been listening to Jay's Yoga Talks podcast since it started in 2015. Um, It's really what got me doing what I'm doing in some ways. And uh, I really admire his commitment to open inquiry and to speaking from the heart with a wide range of guests. So I'm excited to share our conversation um, in which he dives deep into his motivations, uh, both as a podcast host uh, and in his yoga teaching and practice. So among other topics, we talk about everything from critical feedback to uh, religious communion. And uh, as Jay says, he's an open book. So I hope you'll enjoy hearing more about what inspires him. Um, Now, you can find out more about Jay himself at jaybrownyoga.com. And to explore my online courses, visit truthofyoga.com. But finally, just as a, a reminder, you know this podcast um, is still young compared to Jay's but uh, if you'd like to help sustain it, keep it going for a few more years you can make a donation as a subscriber at ancientfutures.substack.com Now let's dive right in with uh, Jay having just said sorry for a temporary glitch. No worries, Jay. Glad you're finally connected. Um, It's funny because you you often like to start uh, podcasts talking about the sort of uh, asynchronous nature of conversation. And I was kind of wondering if we were going to do a telepathic one this time or (laughs) (laughs) whether we'd make it at least the two of us in the same spot.
1: (laughs) No, you know, I think I just have too many balls in the air and I jotted down the time wrong. But I'm glad that you had some free time today and we were able to still get together
0: no worries no worries it's a real pleasure to be chatting again and um, you know to be chatting actually this time looking at each other I know in the past you've done podcasts just with the audio and um, yeah like you I'm staring at the screen too much already so I kind of like to switch it off sometimes but also you get a different feeling looking you know through the screen at least at each other even if you're not quite in the same space so it's a pleasure to be doing that.
1: I think that's especially true when you have had times to talk with someone. You feel like you know someone a little bit more. It's not just exactly. a visual image of someone you feel like you have no connection to. And I certainly feel some connection to you. And and let me just quickly say that mm-hmm. um, I'll I'm pro- I'll record a an introduction for my listeners to kind of explain how this all came about and what inspired it. Um, I just wanted to say to you how much. I was flattered by you suggesting to do it and how I've certainly been interviewed before, but this feels very different because I'm such a fan of your work and I've really appreciated your episodes, uh, your new podcast. So I really feel like the idea was to put myself on the hot seat and I feel like we have certainly accomplished that today. (laughs) So with that, I am just, I'm happy to kind of, uh, turn the reins over to you.
0: Well, thank you, Jay. I mean, I should return the compliments. Um, I'm only really doing this because you do what you do. Um, you know, yours is the only yoga podcast I really listen to. And I've been listening since you started, which is now a very long time ago. And, um, I guess therefore, you know, the first question that pops into my head is, did you ever imagine when you set out in 2015 hosting a chat with your friend Josh that you would be still at it eight years later?
1: Um, I I think that I had a plan that it was going to be a long-term project. In fact, anytime you like try to educate yourself about podcasting, which I did before I started it, like if you go listen to people doing podcasts about podcasting and you <laughs> yeah. try to get like information about how to have a successful podcast, everyone Mm. tells you that it's like a long game. And I think that I had been doing my blog for the better part of a decade. So I just, I took it on as just a, like a practice for myself, like a meditation or a practice to keep myself learning in a sense. Mm. So I always saw it as a long-term project, but I don't think I could have foresaw what it would have become or the role that it would have played in my life.
0: I mean, as you've often said, when you've talked about it, you know, through the podcast itself and a couple of times I've heard you, you know, speak about its genesis um, that it really was a continuation of the blogging process. And as blogs kind of petered out in an interactive kind of way, this, w- this was an opportunity to actually continue the dialogue that didn't seem to happen on Facebook.
1: It's true. I think that, when I first started doing some writing, in fact, if I go back to my earliest blog post, I believe there was one that was called Hanumanasana is overrated. <laughs> and basically <laughs> it was a piece about- Always
0: had an eye for the clickbait then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely for clickbait because there was a blogging time. We were all finding yeah. clickbaity titles, but I think that it was a response to an article that I had read in Yoga Journal Magazine that I just felt like wasn't very substantive or nuanced and I wanted there to be more of that. And someone said, well, then you should write it. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. So the idea was always to have more nuance and more in depth considerations. Of course, the blog, I always, I started out doing like 800 words and it ended up being somewhere between 800 and a thousand words each month. But over time, with the advent of social media, initially there were those common threads on Facebook that were very exciting and cool. And it felt like there was a lot going on on the internet for yoga and it was a very exciting time. But as it progressed at a certain point, there was that algorithm shift, which I think we may have talked about on my show the first time you came on when we were talking about media uh, and journalism. Exactly,
0: (laughs) the polarization and the mess that creates, yeah
1: there was like a algorithm reprogram at some point, at which point it just felt like everything got shorter and smaller and like 800 words was too much to ask people to read. It seemed like people weren't weren't reading and engaging with text in the same way. And podcasting was something that I had just gotten into. It was, I was listening to podcasts and it was like a better way to fill my time than like being on social media or watching YouTube videos. And I Mm -hmm. thought, wow, podcasting really felt like the more exciting medium. It felt like old radio where you have people like whatever, Joe Rogan, people doing these like super long form conversations. And I thought that's where I think I could find more nuance than I can in an 800 word blog post.
0: And you've said as well at the beginning, you know, that you were turning to the people who you knew and almost, you know, trying to construct a bit of an oral history of how things came to be the way that they are. And then, you know, obviously over time, we're now into the 300 and something conversation. And uh, I, I guess I wonder how you keep uh, finding new people to talk to. What, what What is the organizing ethos really behind the podcast?
1: <laughs> That's a pretty funny question. I'm not sure how to answer it. <laughs> what I would say is that, yes when I first started doing the podcast and if someone goes back to the early episodes and listens to those rambling, slightly embarrassing intros I was doing, it was about trying to make sense of how I got to where I was in sort of the yoga scene, because Mm -hmm. I had, as I've often said, rode the wave of yoga into the mainstream, started teaching in early nineties, right before it kind of started becoming more aware in our popular culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I started out, I was in my early twenties. I, I was a bachelor, just like living in some apartment in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I didn't need to make a lot of money, and you know, when I started the podcast, it was like twenty years later. I had a yoga center that was closing down after ten years because I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I was married with two kids, and I was like, "How did I even? How did I even get here?" So initially it was like wanting to kind of trace yoga coming from the East to the West. And like my teachers who Mm -hmm. had like come into it in the sixties, early seventies and like taken these Meccas to India, met these gurus and come back and like set up a storefront in the East village. And there was an altar with like pictures of these teachers on there, you know? And I was just trying to make sense of what I learned and where it came from. And also, which I know is the topics of your your work, (laughs) actually, that's sort of the inspiration, Mm. but also it was also wanting to kind of tear down what I felt was a bit of um, an edifice of like what a yoga teacher was there because we had like the Instagramification of yoga and so there was all this like hashtag living my best life yoga teacher is like kind of presenting (laughs) this image of a yoga body and a certain lifestyle and here I was like struggling and with a lot of physical pain because most yoga teachers who are teaching certain styles where they have to be on performance all the time it's not sustainable Mm -hmm. for a person's body at least it wasn't for me so everything was kind of breaking down and I wanted to like expose it. So I a lot of those raw intros were like, hey, this is bullshit. (laughs) Most of the yoga teachers I know have pain and are not are not like all blissful beings. And we should be honest about that. You
0: know. Well, I've always really appreciated that dimension to the way that you put yourself out there. You know, you do, you know, hang out there warts and all and say, here it is, like it or lump it. And, you know, obviously some people you know, find that's not to their taste and they give you, you know, a hard time for talking over your interviewees or whatever it might be or saying too much about yourself. But, you know, in a way, you, as, as you've just said, are trying to tell the story of what it means to be a yoga teacher without, you know, over finessing it. And even to the point of talking about, you know, the business side of it, obviously, you decided social media wasn't really the place to hang out but you know starting a podcast is an alternative form of social media it's reaching people but you know with a more rich offering of you know something that they might gain something from rather than you know, have something taken away from their pockets with and uh, you know i quite like that approach to you know being honest about the sharing while actually sharing something substantive and it's free and people can tune in and you know if they get something from it great so that's, that's, so that's been rich. But when it comes to sharing about yourself, I wonder, you know, sometimes, especially when you start talking a lot about your family, how they feel about this uh, degree of sharing that you do in public? Uh, what do they say when they hear some of the stuff that goes out or do they just not tune in?
1: Well, I first of all, let me make a comment to something you just said previously hmm. about interrupting people. I would say <laughs> that uh, that's something I really learned I learned how to listen a lot better because in the early episodes, as you know, having started a show, there's kind of a nervousness around, oh, are we going to have enough to talk about or like to keep Mm -hmm. the conversation moving? So a lot of times I don't think I was listening very well and listening back to myself, interrupting people and having people email me and be like, yo, stop interrupting (laughs) your guests, man, definitely taught me some things about how to listen better, which was a good thing. And I will say also to the idea of the podcast being a form of social media, I didn't see it like that when I started out, but it certainly became that. And I did make a conscious choice to get off of social media at a certain point. And it it did become my form of social media. So Mm. to all of that. Now, in terms of my family and how they feel about the like crazy oversharing that I sometimes (laughs) have done over the years. First of all, my wife, you know, we've been together for quite a long time. So I was doing that in the blog too. Mm -hmm. And so she had gotten kind of used to that in me. She knew that that was something that I was doing. And I remember having conversations with her back during the blog days where she would read the blog. She's like, I can't believe you're just going to send this out and let everybody read this. And I told her, I said, this is how I'm keeping myself in check in certain ways, you know, that kind of transparency I've taught about that was a way to make sure that I wasn't full of it or that I was being everything that I would hope to be as a yoga teacher and a person. So she, I think, understands why I do that. I think over the years of doing the podcast, there have been a couple of occasions where, you know, <laughs> she questioned me <laughs> doing it, but you know, at this point, my wife supports me and and respects what I'm doing, and I think she's seen the positive results. Even though there have been some time, times where it's really caused us some issues, uh, I think in terms of my daughters, they know a little bit. They've each recorded an episode with me One and I posted day. it, and they've they've enjoyed that. And I think that they they seem to recognize that there's something a little bit different about me than some of the other dads, and i like that. Yeah. So <laughs> in general, they're supportive and you know, they, they trust me to do what I feel like is the right thing for me to be doing.
0: Do you mind if I ask which incidents, you know, did cause a bit of friction?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that there were, you know, two occasions where there were kind of scandals that I got embroiled into. Mm -hmm. And in those occasions, I don't think it was the the oversharing that was the problem so much is that because I have put myself out there in the ways that I have, it made me very vulnerable to like the downsides of social media and the internet too. So when there were like concerted campaigns kind of like against me mm-hmm. and like people who don't even normally listen to my show we're hearing about, or like it got back to my wife from like other people, like, Oh my God, I heard this thing about Jay, you know, and she's, she had a lot of anxiety about it because it was very scary kind of thing. That was a moment where I was like, Oh man, I've, I've made my family vulnerable too. And it's not just me. And I had to kind of reconcile that. But having said that, all in all, I don't, I don't think that my wife has ever regretted it. I think, again, my wife met me always having been this way, (laughs) always having done
0: this.
1: (laughs) So for her to like be upset about it now, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Uh, I hear you. No, no.
0: I'm I'm curious though about this, uh, you know, tendency to get embroiled in in controversy um, because, you know, it's not just a one-off and, um, I actually discovered if i if i typed your uh blog url into google the the seo text comes up and it describes you as outspoken and sometimes controversial as if uh, as if you're almost wearing it as a badge of pride i mean it's honesty again radical honesty but uh it, do you sometimes actually actively seek out controversy whether consciously or not do you think
1: i think that i've always uh wanted to be a bit provocative that it always mm. felt like in the early days, it seemed like nobody was having conversations about stuff and I wanted to provoke them. And it yeah. was in that earlier, punky clickbaity time in the internet. So some of that outspokenness was kind of like a marketing angle in a way to kind of get noticed, I think. Yeah. Over time, I, th- I think I also, I haven't wanted to shy away from what felt to me like the most important conversations we should be having. And as I said, Sometimes there's this thing of yoga teachers when it comes to needing to put ourselves out there in the market of like always putting forth like this best picture of success or something. And I I wanted, as I said, to kind of tear that down. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I I might have lost my train of thought on your question a little bit. Well, that was more just to what... You were, you were asked about, oh, the controversy. I think mm. sometimes it's just like a punky nature in me wanting to stir things up. I've certainly matured in that. And, and I'm way more careful now because I can see that there can be sort of harm that happens from it where I think in the past I wanted to stir up. Like if someone came on the show I would almost take a more adversarial role in the conversation sometimes especially if I didn't agree with that person on certain things Mm. and I would want to kind of like spice it up which in certain ways works like you will get more attention what I learned is you can do that you can do things just to kind of make controversy and get more reach and have more people pay attention but a lot of the people paying attention don't like you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like you're, you draw you,
1: you draw attention that you don't necessarily want. You like, attention mm-hmm. for attention's sake, I found to not be fruitful. Not for my business, not for my soul. So I think now I'm I'm just smarter and not interested in creating any adversarial relationships. Even if I do disagree with someone. I wanna feel like I connect with them and that there can be like a base of friendship even if we see things in very different ways, especially nowadays with so much polarization, that's become a bit of a new part of the Mm -hmm. mission of the show is to be able to talk to anybody even if we see things very differently and find a mutual ground to come together on wherever possible.
0: And have there been any conversations since that shift in your perspective where you have really found yourself quite strongly disagreeing with somebody but then bitten your tongue and then got off got off the call and <laughs> vented to someone else about it rather than letting it all come out on the air I'm just curious how you manage that as somebody who's having all these conversations with such a wide variety of people who sometimes surely must just you know yank your chain in some way or another
1: I appreciate that question I would say it doesn't happen very often Um, partially because going back to a question that you asked before they didn't answer in terms of like, how, what's the Genesis? Like, how do, how do I come up with all these episodes or have I managed to maintain some consistency of doing a weekly show for seven plus years at this point? Exactly. Yeah. I would say that. And it's a funny thing to say. A lot of it is a bit of an intuitive, like, I don't feel like I'm doing it all myself that I do feel like certain conversations are just kind of like, even this one, I didn't plan for this. It just kind of came about in a very natural way. I'm kind of putting out feelers and listening and pulling on certain threads. Sometimes I get an email from someone. I do have like an ongoing file of suggestions that people have made or ideas that I have. And if, I, if I'm if i like, oh, I gotta schedule some episodes, I'll like dip into that file and send out some invites. But again, you never really know who's going to take you up on it or not. And it is kind of a process of it unfolding in and of itself. And I found that when I let the episodes kind of unfold and I'm not trying to like create the content in a way, I'm letting it just be a natural part of my own inquiry and practice and where that's leading me, uh, then I I don't find myself in situations where I'm in conversation with people where I'm like, oh, and I want to say something and I'm biting my tongue. It mm. has happened recently. I, I hesitate to like point to the exact episode because I don't know. It's a general
0: flavor. Let's let's yeah, not I go don't know the, if the I want to yeah. do
1: that, but there has been a recent instance where someone came on the show and they were expressing some views about something. And I, I did want to challenge them on it, and I I decided not to. And afterward, I I kind of was like, ooh, did I? pull the punch did I not stick to the mission of the show did I softball that person too much you know Mm -hmm. and I realized that no I, I felt like it was the right choice because I wanted to build a bridge and there was a very good chance that if I had challenged that guess on that one thing that it would have been um I think it would have been viewed by many people as hostile and that was not what I wanted to do with the I wanted to have a a good faith dialogue about it but I don't I feared it wasn't gonna be perceived as such. So I bit my tongue. I did talk it out. I have a weekly teacher's sangha where I, I have people who come in and we usually talk about what's going on in the podcast. And I did share with them on the download that week. I was like, <laughs> I gotta talk about this. Do you think, and people generally agreed that I, they thought I made the right choice. Cause there was so much other things in the talk that were valuable and good to challenge that on that one little thing and potentially kind of sully all the other great things about it. That's the kind of maturing that I think I've come to where I'm not just gonna jump on any little thing that might stir something up. I wanna try to find what the heart and soul of the conversation is and just be true to that.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, To continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.